welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. Hello, we are a bit late with getting the episode out. I try to make sure we have new content every two weeks and I've slipped up a little. So thank you so much for being patient. Uh, Hopefully your patience will be rewarded as for this episode, I've been researching a story from history that I knew absolutely nothing about. And I think it's a real barn burner about what goes on behind the scenes in Hollywood when it comes to making Oscar nominated pictures about women. And also what happens when you, as an author, try to insert yourself into the story. This episode is about the life and work of playwright and screenwriter Lillian Hellman, who was pretty successful in the early to mid 20th century and has been actually mentioned on this podcast previously without me even realising on our episode regarding the children's hour. Part of Lillian's life story was itself used for the 1977 movie Julia and I've asked Nick to come back so we can discuss what happened behind the scenes on the making of this movie which won a number of Oscars and then became the focus of litigation, drama, possible defamation and all sorts of gossip about whether events depicted in the film really did happen and did they really happen to Lillian Hellman. If you haven't watched the movie and it wouldn't surprise me if you haven't, it's not that easy to get hold of, then what I thought I would do before our chat is give you a brief summary of the plot. Roger Ebert in his review of The Time said... Julia is the story of a fascinating woman told from the point of view of someone who hardly knew her, which uh, I really think sets the scene for what we're going to discuss today. I also found a a fullest uh, summary on IMDb, which is this Oscar winning drama based on the writing of Lillian Hellman depicts the relationship between two friends and its unexpected consequences. After Lillian, a renowned playwright reunites in Russia with her childhood playmate Julia, the writer is recruited to smuggle funds into Germany to aid the anti-Nazi movement. Waiting in the wings is Lillian's lover and mentor Dashiell Hammett, who is unaware of her dangerous assignment. And here's a cut-down version of the trailer so you can get a real sense of the movie. It is 1937, a time of turmoil and trouble, when every moment brings the world a step closer to war. And this woman a step closer to danger. 20th Century Fox presents a film by Fred Zinneman, Julia, starring Jane Fonda, as Lillian Hellman. You're the one who talked me into being a writer. Dashiell. You're the one who said, stick with it, kid. You got talent, kid. You really can't write. Maybe if you go find a job. I'm the toast of the town. Jason Robards as Dashiell Hammett. Not that it's bad. It's just not good enough. Not for you. Ow! And Vanessa Redgrave as Julia. Yesterday, they lived in a sheltered world of wealth 
and dreams. Lily, finally there's some real hope in the world. Do you understand? Yes, of course. Today, they must face the harsh realities of life. Miss Julia has asked me to see you. What, what's the trouble? Has something happened to Julia? You're going to Moscow by way of Vienna. Yes. We would like to change your travel plans. We would like you to travel by way of Berlin. Madame Hermann? We would like you to carry for us $50,000. Julia, a film of beauty and suspense. Based on a story by Lillian Hellman. A story of a friendship. You still look like nobody else. An adventure. We have to talk fast now. There isn't much time. And an act of great courage. One more thing. It hasn't escaped my notice that this is an anti-fascist film dealing with the lives of Jewish people during the events that led up to World War II. Vanessa Redgrave won an Oscar for her portrayal of the character Julia and she gave a controversial speech at the time of accepting her award in relation to Judaism and Zionism which are subjects that I'm not even going to get into because I am no authority whatsoever on this so I have excluded that part of her acceptance speech but kept some of the speech in. Um, I just wanted to make that very clear to everybody before they start listening. This episode focuses on Hollywood rivalries, what is truth and what is fiction, when is something a biopic and of course how we treat women when they are making films or writing books about their own lives versus when men write screenplays and direct movies based on a woman's relationship and what the differing results of those partnerships can show us. Without further ado, let's get to the conversation. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. To talk about a film called Julia and a lot of exciting things that happened around mm. this film. So I believe Julia was made in 1977? Yeah, it was. Directed by Fred Zinnemann, written by Alvin Sargent, uh, based on a book by Lillian Hellman. Do you want to give a quick summary of the this, film, the plot of the film? Uh, yeah, it really just concerns um, Lillian Hellman's kind of rise, as it were, as a playwright in the 1930s, and particularly her original writing of um, The Children's Hour, while she's living with um, Dashiell Hammett. Um, and then it sort of fo follows her sort of in a, in a fairly sort of bland way, but then, the, the, but then the, the main core of the film is about a particular event that took place, or we think took place, um, whereby she as assists um, some uh, anti-fascists, um, I believe in Germany at the time, bearing in mind it's the 1930s, um, basically getting some getting some money to them for, for, for which they can in theory um, pay off uh, Nazi guards to free some Jewish prisoners and political prisoners. 
and it's it's really just a recount of that of this particular event, I believe. Would that be a reasonable summation? No. No. Why is this film called Julia? Oh yeah, there is that. <laughs> <laughs> Who is Julia? Uh, Julia is um, Lillian's Lillian Hellman's childhood friend. They, they, they kind of grow up together in relatively sort of wealthy circumstances, it appears. Anyway, certainly Julia is relatively wealthy. Uh, and Julia sort of goes a bit, becomes rather obsessed with, or um, in a good way, with a sort of anti-fascism in general, and just the, the, the plight of the poor. So she she runs at the sort of heart of this. The reason why Lillian Hellman is helping this, this anti-fascist movement is because Julia asks her. And much of this is sort of told from her own, in sort of flashback memories of her and Julia as a child and so on and so forth. Lillian clearly puts a lot of faith in Julia, hence that's the reason why she does it. I think Lillian is the protagonist, but Julia is the catalyst. And she is almost the object of the movie. So we both decided to watch this movie because it was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And so a film with a woman's name in the title, my ears pricked up. Um, And it was nominated for lots of categories, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Cinematography. And it won for Adapted Screenplay for Supporting Actress for Vanessa Redgrave, who played uh, Julia. And uh, for Best Supporting Actor, uh, Dashiell Hammett paid by Jason Robards. But it didn't win for Jane Fonda, who plays Lillian in the film. Uh, It also did pretty well at the BAFTAs. So on the face of things, this looks like an interesting melodrama based on real events about an exciting plot and the relationship between two women Mm. who had vastly divergent lives but still came together. And I also think a thing that you didn't mention earlier is the the fact that Lillian was Jewish. Yeah. And how difficult that must have been to being involved in some money smuggling to help these activities as a Jewish person uh, during the rise of fascism in Germany. But the reason why we've decided to talk about it today isn't really about the film, is it? What mm-hmm. what was it that made you think you wanted to talk about this film? Um, well, it, I think we should start with the fact that you mentioned this earlier. Lillian Hellman was a playwright and she was a pretty successful playwright of the time and a female play, playwright of which there weren't that many and there still aren't that many in comparison to male playwrights. She is famous as much for her works as she is for her relationship with Dashiell Hammett and how he might have helped her become a better writer and that's certainly put in the film. But uh, you've already mentioned The Children's Hour. She also yeah. wrote some other... Plays um, that became films, yeah, didn't she? Wrote, she? she wrote um, Little Foxes, uh, which was directed by William Wyler, which was also an Oscar-nominated film, uh, with a film version of it. Um, and, and who was that starring? Betty Davis. Betty Davis. And, yeah. and Watch on the Rhine, actually, which also had Betty Davis in it, and was also Oscar-nominated and as, did a, she, as a film. And did she win... Did she? Sorry, did she write the... I pre- she played, play? She wrote, did she, she write wrote the those plays. Play? No, I think well, she did both. I'm pretty sure for those she she wrote plays yeah. and then uh, adapted them into screenplays. She also did a few other, adapted a few other sort of 
existing works. Like I think she did Dead End, uh, which is another William Wyler film. Um, I think pretty sure she, that wasn't her original play, but she I think she adapted it. Um, so she was pretty successful yeah. in her time and doesn't seem to have been held back by her gender. Although in this case, interestingly, she wrote um, a series of kind of short vignettes in a book about her life, of which one of them was called Pentimento, and that is the basis yeah. for Julia. Mm -hmm. But she did not adapt this quite short novella or section herself which you would have thought she's obviously capable of doing so a screenwriter called alvin Sargent, who as i said won the oscar for best adapted mm. screenplay adapted her book yeah which in itself is interesting because i wonder why she didn't do it herself she <laughs> might have wanted to which leads into the controversy about julia which is which, well, in a nutshell, in total description, the question one has to ask or answer is, did any of the events in the film or, or the book upon which it's based actually really happen? It's a really interesting question because it's multi-layered. At yeah, first, definitely. you have a woman who wrote what is purportedly her own life story or parts of it into a book which is then adapted by someone else into a screenplay. Now, between us, I'm sure we've seen many, many biopics and most of the time nowadays I've learned not to trust yeah, what I see on screen definitely. because of poetic there, license. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is a certain element of that. And I think as a viewer, you, you accept that certain events are just not fundamentally that interesting or and they need a bit of jazzing up and you accept it as a viewer um there's a difference between out and out that and out and out lies though uh if you're saying that it's based on a true story i can't remember what it said at the beginning of the movie did it have one of those no, this is based on true events i feel like it i feel like it didn't no i don't think it did when when the film as the film was being made as julia right. was being made yes um, it was picked up by um, Fred Zinnemann, who you mentioned before. A very famous, yeah. well-regarded and, and rewarded absolute, director. Absolute legend, Fred Zinnemann. Yeah. Done some great films. Yeah. Um, now, his background was that he was born in Austria. I think he attended university in Vienna. And then he came to the US in I don't know, like late 20s or so, to basically to start a film career. And may I assume with his surname Zinnemann that he's Jewish? He is Jewish as well. Yeah. He didn't flee Europe necessarily to escape anti-Semitism in the 30s because he'd already done it at that point. Um, but and I signed right. He, he worked his way into the, into the Hollywood film industry, and certainly after the war, he, he, he became a very successful director. Yeah. It's also worth noting both of his parents died in the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Yeah. In Austria. Um, I don't know the exact circumstances. Yeah. But they didn't necessarily get out no, in the way that out. he did. No. Maybe they sent their child to university, kind of. Well, I, no, I, well, I think he'd already left. Oh, he'd right. He'd already left long before then. But the key point being, I can it's see very, how... really sad. Yeah, I can see how Fred Cinnamon sees this script and sees this adaptation and thinks, wow, th this is on the money for me. This is telling yeah. a lot about who I am and everything. Yeah. It's probably now... As Fred Zinnemann was making the film, and he had a lot of um, uh, chats and discussions with Lillian Hellman while he was making the film, he and his production crew became increasingly suspicious that 
the events taking place were fabricated. He, he started to not believe what was really going on. Is that because he was asking Lillian for I think, information? I, yeah. I, because I, theoretically, the screenplay existed at the point that they were filming. Yeah, yeah And you don't often, you, you may have the screenwriter on set, but you probably don't always have the person on set. Yeah, I'm but, not sure But if, if it was. is based on someone's life and they're still alive, yeah, yeah. you'll probably use I, them I, as a consultant. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think, that's, that, that, I think yeah. that's exactly what it was. And I think she was... Lillian Hellman was a little bit unable to provide too much, a lot of detail about what was going on. And, and I, I don't know exactly how Fred Zinnemann reached the conclusion, but he, in his head, decided she's full of shit. This didn't really happen. <laughs> to coin a phrase. Well, I think we should... Um, I, I don't know why I'm, I'm in Lillian's defence here, but what I would say is Pentimento is a very short story, yeah. which was definitely yes. lengthened and made more exciting by the film and i think that the, i think there was discussion between them because on wikipedia there are statements my life wasn't quite as exciting mm. as it looks on film but the real issue was is that i definitely did this transported this money across multiple borders yeah. uh, from yeah. so it from germany no if it started sort of in paris ended up in I think it ends up in Poland, but they go through Germany, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and don't they go to Russia, I thought? Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're, 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 it's, it's all... Geographically, it, it, doesn't it, was make quite, any it was quite confusing <laughs> geographically. Like, There's a lot of changing of yeah. trains, but basically, the, the, going back to what you said at the start, the key event that we're kind of talking about here, which is the dramatic part of the film and takes up... The film is two, just over two hours? About two hours, I think. Yeah, and I'd say at least half an hour of it is spent on this actual event, which is... Uh, Lillian, played by Jane Fonda, being tasked with taking $50,000 that's stuffed in a fur hat, allegedly, um, across multiple borders uh, at risk of her own life. And also even more difficult because she's Jewish and she had to keep showing her papers and her passport. And at any point she may have been in danger just because of a yeah. cultural background and not even for the, mm. the sending of money. Yeah, and it, and it's, as far as the film goes, it's, it's an exciting, thrilling part of it. You definitely, your, your um, heart rate's raised because you don't know if she's going to make it. You don't know if the people she's sat on the train with are her friends or are helping her somehow or are actually the enemy and she becomes mistrust. Everyone has to change all of these train stations, goes and, you know, meet someone for two minutes, give them something, pretend that they're, they're her friends and then get back on a train and eventually Lillian meets Julia and passes her the money by they go to the toilet together she gives her the hat she takes out the money from the hat we never see this happen and then she puts the hat back on and then they come back out and have a chat and then she gets back on a train again it's all very, it's all very strange so e even in itself when you're watching it I didn't think oh this couldn't be true. I just thought, wow, they could have done this a bit better. Well, I, I think there's two things about that. I think, um, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think there's anything to suggest that an event of that of that nature did not take place. Yeah. Um, it's not wholly unbelievable. Um, I think that, if we, just for a moment, if we just talk about this, yeah. the filmmaking, I'm not sure it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking, that, that particular event. I think, I think there's, <sighs> you, you know how you, sometimes in spy films, you, you know, they give you a look, 
sideways look and your, your, yeah. your camera has to capture that and it means something yes. it's just it's just a bit confused the way it's done so it, I, I think it leaves you not really realize, not really understanding what's going on and at the end of it you still don't understand exactly who was who I don't know if Cinnamon was successful or not because all the way through those scenes I kept thinking are those two women she's sitting well, yeah. with on her side yeah, I because know. everything they said sounded dodgy and you couldn't work out so you might argue that Zinnemann did this perfectly oh, well, because maybe. I was completely confused as to whether but in fact I'm still confused the, uh-huh. I've watched the film a week ago and I still am not sure who exactly was helping out and who wasn't so back to Zinnemann should we bring up bring up Muriel Gardner at this point um well I think probably um the who's the sorry apologies who was the author again? Mary McCarthy Mary McCarthy so uh, yeah so, um, the, so the parties in this are Lillian Hellman was the writer and she is the, the so Jane Fonda plays a version of her in the film Dashiell Hammett who did have a long term relationship with Lillian that was true that's factual well, and I think it went for twenty years but they never really lived together and. He was like, um, you know, voraciously having affairs all over the place like all these flipping <laughs> Hollywood types do. Which, you know, considering his Sam Spade books and everything Dashiell Hammett writes, I kind of I kind of can see he wanted to yeah, live yeah, the noir yeah. life. Um, but there are but definitely parts of the film seem to have been true, haven't been disputed about their relationship. Then Zinnemann's making the film and he starts to worry, particularly, I think, about the parts of this film that involve Julia. In the film, you have... It's... it's, it's sort of told chronologically, but there's a non-linear part, isn't there? You have a little bit of a chronological scene uh, where the the where Julia and Lillian are, as you said, teenagers. Then you have a scene in the future where Lillian's writing something in this kind of New England house with Dashiell. Then she goes back and she sees Julia in Paris and Julia's like I want to be a communist basically I don't want to have all this money I come from this stiff upper lip family and I'm going to go all over the world so she go where is she in as well is she in the Netherlands where does she study Julia of Vienna sorry yes Uh, that makes more sense um uh, so Julia studies and meets new people and becomes more politically aligned. And she's not Jewish, but she's very, as far as I'm aware. I don't think so. I just think she has a a, a, a thing for helping the, the poor yeah, man more than anything else. Exactly. She's very much like, uh, she is a classical example of a rich girl with an education who then wants to use that to help the common man if you will yeah so i um many of the parts of the film so it goes back and forward but moves along chronologically till it gets to virtually this denouement um of the exchange of money and then also we find out that julia has a secret daughter and that's a different part of the plot and i've missed one of the most important parts of the plot which is that um julia has is in this weird hospital run by German doctors and nurses and then she has a mystery operation and we find out many half an hour later that she had her leg removed and she's got a false leg that was very strange so I think this all goes to these weird things happened to Julia while she was in Europe Mm. trying to help people yeah well it's just classic kind of um 
uh, you sort of uh, all records are a bit a bit iffy, you know. Like, but was she in this hospital? Or was she not? Well, if, if you're the Nazis and you're running this hospital, you just deny it completely. So, it, it, you know, it, exactly. Yeah, it, it becomes quite difficult for her to sort of do anything. And the film is completely from Lillian's point of view, so therefore we're only getting the information as and when Lillian gets yeah, it, yeah. as she dots all around Europe trying to find out what Julia's doing. I also thought there was like a pseudo-lesbian relationship as well. I, I think you're right. I don't know if that's Cinnamon's I... naughty direction, but I felt like... There was a closeness between the two friends and there are mentions in the film about women can't do everything that they'd want to do, particularly Julia says this. And I always wondered whether that was a nod to actually I'd like to be gay. But well, I'm an keep in mind the be. subject matter of uh, the children's hour as well Yes, is about sort of unrequited lesbian love isn't it really yes there, there seems to be I, I did some research and i never found out anything about whether lillian had had any lesbian affairs or was ever you know accused mm. in speech marks of of being gay and i found nothing which i found really fascinating because a lot of her work deals with lesbianism mm. maybe it was she was thinking I want to write something about people I know and I want to write something controversial. Mm. I never found out anything specifically linked to her own experience. Yeah, I think if the film does sort of go there, it only very likely, I think, would be... It's a mild insinuation, but nothing really specific. Mm. So we have this movie that goes back and forth that tells this interesting... And somewhat exciting tale about two women and their role in helping Jewish people and, and, and helping the poor during the rise of fascism. And then um, we have Zinnemann come in while he's directing the film, wondering whether the source material is as accurate <laughs> as he thinks. Um, and I don't know about Alvin, the screenwriter, whether he ever doubted yeah, anything. I think, he will probably just wants to be quiet because he won an Oscar. Yeah, He's right. quite happy. Well, also, He's like, fiction, I think, I think he Zinnemann, adapted it. I think Zinnemann is going to be... He'd all, you've got to remember, he's going to be sensitive about this. If he suspects something, mm-hmm. he is not really going to be able to control himself with it at all. Um, because, because if he thinks it's all fake... Um, he's going to unleash at that point, um, bearing in mind what happened to him and his family. So you think he had a personal issue with Lillian because she said it was all true and he doesn't think Um, it was? Because as as a director, ordinarily, you just want to make the best film that you can with the material you have. But you're saying because of the personal nature of this story and Zinnemann's own experiences, which, yeah, were, which can't have been, you know, were, so... It, it touches a nerve with him in yes. a massive way. And, yeah, whilst I agree with you, in theory, you, you, you step back and be professional. I don't think you could blame him for, for taking it rather personally. Fair enough. Dash, I like being famous. Let's now move to the role of Mary McCarthy in this. Mary McCarthy was an author and a playwright. And as you said earlier, you felt like she was the... Lifelong rival of... Yeah. yeah but we don't know where this has come from. Um, Just professional she, jealousy? Well, I, I think she'd known Lillian Hellman for years in some capacity. And um, I don't know why the animosity existed. I'm not entirely sure where it comes from. But, um, yeah, it, it existed. 
for sure. Do you think there were many other female playwrights around this time, apart from these two? I don't know. Yeah, well, the fact is, I don't know either. So it probably is a case of two women pitted against one another, whether by their own internalised misogyny, Mm. but probably that plus the misogyny (laughs) of Hollywood, where it, it was more difficult for female stories to get through unless they were controversial or exciting or dramatic hence Lillian Hellman's work which always seemed to take a controversial line so Mary McCarthy why is she part of this story well she did an interview in 1979 on the program I can't quite remember Dick Cavett's program yes it it is yeah um and and in this the subject of Lillian Hellman came up I think Yes. And she was scathing about her and basically said, what what does she say? Something about... I love the quote. The quote said, everything she says is a lie, including the and and the the. Which doesn't quite (laughs) slip off. It's not the best sort of, it's not the most razor sharp insult. Also, I don't think it can be true. Your your ands and your thes. I see where she's going, but I don't think it quite, you know. I think it was, but it was, you know bitchy is the bitchiest thing to say and what i just read as well um just before we started recording is that there's a lawyer who worked on the dick cavett show and would um would watch the recording and if something controversial came up where there could be a legal problem he would say something at the end of the show so they could record it and he went great show (laughs) nothing wrong there so i'm like well done lawyer great job yeah yeah, um, but so... not surprisingly, Lillian Hellman took issue with that interview, and I believed sued not just um, Mary McCarthy, but also the show as well. Yes. Um, so she must have been watching this, thinking, "Oh, there's my great adversary. Yeah. What's she up to? Wait a minute, what's she saying about me?" I know, me? I know. I don't know. I I personally think that if someone is going to say something that horrific about you, then you must be doing something right. Yeah. But let's now look at Mary McCarthy's case to mm-hmm. answer so she particularly had an issue with julia yes yes she did well if julia only, the movie if, well if only because she thought it was untrue she thought it was fake that's why and we never really came to finding out why particularly no she may have except had... when we get to the court case yeah we get to the court case i mean yeah. she may I don't know whether she'd spoken to Fred Zinnemann at any point as well. She may have done. Um, I don't think Fred Zinnemann particularly was public about his criticisms of Lillian Hellman. Why would you if your film well, is nominated yeah. Yeah, exactly. for Best Picture? You're nominated for yeah. Best Director. Your film wins three Oscars. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I couldn't tell you. Maybe it adds to it. Sometimes controversy adds mm. to things. And I think actually this kind of controversy would, but it, as I remember rightly, the I don't think the court case came to light until like the eighties, was it? It was nineteen eighty three. Well, it, it it died in nineteen eighty three, largely because of that. Lena Hellman died, and so uh, Lena Hellman's estate was basically dropped the court case at that point. Yeah, um, but it went on for four so, years. So let's so let's look at this. So the court case, the action is Lillian Hellman suing Mary McCarthy and the Dick Cavett show, the show where she made claims for, I'm guessing, defamation. Oh, yes. But I don't know exactly if Mary was even talking about Julia the film, which is interesting. No. She was just saying, that Lillian Hellman, she's a right liar. Yeah. Everything she says Um, is untrue. 
But one thing you say is if you're a successful writer and you've got a lot of money behind you and you hate the other person, are you going to take that being sued, lying down? No, you're not. You're going to counter sue for something. And that's exactly what Mary McCarthy did. Um, now, exactly what, what the action was, I can't quite put my finger on. But the <laughs> fact that what she was honing in on is the lies to say you have lied and you have you've lied left right and center and i think she picked up on julia at that point julia was a specific example of where lillian had said this actually happened to me i was the person that did all of these exciting Mm. things and then mary says no you weren't i think that you base this on somebody else and that person is Muriel Gardner. Yeah, yeah. I think what they did is they heard uh, Mary McCarthy's lawyers basically did some investigative work and they picked up on Muriel Gardner, um, whose life story sounded suspiciously, or, or some of the events that happened to her, sounded suspiciously like the events that Lillian Hellman was claiming happened to her in Julia, particularly, obviously, the... Uh, train. Yeah, the train business. Money. Yeah. Uh, yeah, transaction. So let's talk about another bad lawyer, Wolf Schwabischer, <laughs> who acted for Hellman and acted for Gardner. We should, we should talk a little bit about Muriel Gardner, actually. Gardner was a psychoanalyst and she worked with Freud at the University of Vienna. Ding, ding, ding. Bell one. That appears in Julia. And was, and was, as I recall, quite independently wealthy as well and came from an aristocratic sort of background, yes. I believe. And she wrote a memoir where she talks about uh, her experiences during um, the run up to World War Two. And the next ding, ding, ding. This sounds familiar. Gardner was involved in anti-fascist activities and she smuggled passports and money in and out of Germany and ran a safe house for anti-fascist dissidents. And that also features in her memoir, which is basically exactly what Julia's doing in that mid to late part of the movie. I should say at this point, how many sort of aristocratic, independently (laughs) wealthy women were studying psychology at the University of Vienna in the 1930s. And the answer is not that many. In fact, one is the answer. And it was Muriel Gardner. It wasn't Lillian Hellman because she never... It certainly wasn't Julia. Um, Even if Julia is a a made-up name and it alludes to somebody else, the only person it could allude to is Muriel Gardner. Yeah. So back to Wolf Schwabischer. So Schwabischer uh, was uh, like an agent and lawyer for... Lillian Hellman and he also helped Muriel Gardner and at one point he lived in the same house as Muriel Gardner and her Mm, husband they divided up the house I think Wolf lived with his wife and I'm guessing there aren't really many secrets when you live in the same house (laughs) together but particularly Lillian Hellman with a little book might have been scribbling this all down so we are at the moment doing the same thing that Mary McCarthy was doing to Lillian which I think is we are making the case for the fact that Lillian Hellman probably made up some of the stories about Julia. They didn't happen to her. They they didn't happen to someone called Julia. They actually happened to Muriel Gardner. Mm. And I, I, I think that I want to step in now and try to give a defence of Lillian. Okay. But it's very hard to do so because uh, Lillian has never been able to, or in her lifetime, was never able to show who Julia was. We mm. never, ever found 
No. Um, who who the person was? Who no. was her friend Julia? There may I mean look there may have been she may have known someone called Julia. She may have invented the name. <laughs> I'm willing Julia. to go that far. She, she may have invented the name. I think that was her mother called Julia. I think her mother. Called Julia. Um, but but anyway, she may have played a, played around a bit with the actual name of the person, but it's more. Who is it based on? Yeah. Um, so, so if even if she had a childhood friend called Julia or somebody else that she was thinking of, the fact of the matter is, the events of the film don't appear to be based on this fictional character. Um, and then we move into, well, did she just superimpose Muriel's life? Did she just sort of take over Muriel's life there and superimpose herself into that role? So we should just say, I think you mentioned this earlier, that the, all the court cases, the suing and the counter-suing, all stopped when um, Lillian died yeah. because her estate did not want to carry yeah. on. And I'm not entirely sure who it was benefiting anyway. I suppose it kept appearing in the news, but it's very much a she said, she said, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think it was benefiting uh, law firm. The, the lawyer, so at that yeah. point, you just... You just so four years of litigation and got no. So this is a morality tale of a lawyer who didn't pick up on some defamation uh, or slander, uh, another lawyer who was a big gossip, and then a third set of lawyers who were making lots of money yeah. out of two women fighting amongst themselves about something that um, neither of them probably would have been able to have yeah. sufficiently shown in court. So let's now move to kind of, we spent a lot of time just getting the facts here, but to the crux of this podcast episode, which is, what do we feel about a woman inserting herself into a story in order to write a play, write her memoirs, sell a story that isn't actually about herself? Is this a truly despicable act or is this Hollywood? <laughs> I, all right, so it is not unheard of for Hollywood to take creative license um, with certain historical facts. Um, I think you have to be careful, though, um, which is you have to give credit where it's due. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you've just done a biopic on Johnny Cash and you've invented a few bits and bobs here and there, well, no, no harm, no foul, as long as Johnny's okay with it, and as long as you're not harming anybody else, I don't think there's any issue there. That... However, if you basically are taking somebody else's life, inserting yourself into the story, and to your death claiming that that was you, mm. in a very and explaining going over a time period which mm. is very very sensitive for an awful lot of people, are you crossing the line to answer your question? Yes, I think you are. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to play the other side of it. Lillian Hellman was an exceptional playwright, mm -hmm. yeah. really good at what she did, and screenwriter, and a real um, lover of storytelling and narrative. Mm. She also wanted to talk about controversial subjects, yeah, yeah. and she also was one of the few women in Hollywood who had access to... Film directors, producers, actors, in order to make stories where women are the focus of the plot. Mm -hmm. Let's say we can never be certain that it what it was or wasn't her that was transferring. I think we'd have to say that when we would we'd have. I mean, I, I have a view, but at the same time, we can't know for sure. No. Hence the not being able to finish the court cases. Yeah. Um, and let's say that Muriel Gardner's story 
it is a mirror image of that. Nobody seems to be doubting Muriel Gardner's story here. The funny thing is, if she just called her Muriel... No, 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 because then... No, because then... No, no, no. If she did that, then she'd have to... um, She'd have to get Muriel's permission, which she might not do. Is it okay for a writer to take something happened in reality and fictionalise it? Is the problem here that she's saying it happened to herself? I think, I think that's part of it, yes. Yeah. I, I, think, I think her saying, this happened to me, look what I've done. Look, look, about, look at all these people that I helped when you didn't. Or, or at least if that story is to be believed, you didn't. All right, again, counter-argument. In the film... You can see, Jane Fonda's very good in the film, the struggle with whether she actually wants to do this or not. She is very, um, uh, yeah, Lillian, all these women's names, Lillian (laughs) in the story, is uh, in the uh, film, is pushed into it a lot by Julia, by the relationships she has with Julia and by the fact that... um, Lillian in the in the film, this is so complicated, Lillian in the film doesn't know what to do with her life. She isn't writing successfully enough. And Dashiell even says, go to Europe to try and find yourself and find a cause. And then she goes through all of these activities on the train and it is stressful and you do worry about her life. You can see the endangerment, which is something I haven't seen. I haven't seen every single World War II film, but I haven't seen this particular story of a woman doing something so dangerous. And I don't think that the character Lillian comes out looking like a hero. I don't. I think um, she looks like some someone who did something for her friend, not truly believing in the cause, but kind of getting pushed into something and feeling like, I can't turn back now. I think this is a good thing to do. So I do not think that Lillian wrote herself into the story to create mm. a hero. There is certainly a hero's journey aspect to it, but I did not come out of watching that film thinking, wow, Julia, is, I'm sorry, Lillian, isn't she an amazing person? I always say there's a reason for that in my view. Because you know? it's not true. Well, I also think that Without knowing exactly the order that the film was shot in... Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, you think it's Zinnemann? I think Zinnemann starts to put a <laughs> negative impact on her, starts to portray her in a negative light as he starts to suspect the story's not true. So she doesn't really come out of it as yeah. a hero because, because I think Zinnemann starts putting that down a little bit. I think that's yet another thing that you can say and we can't possibly know. We don't know the order. But also, I don't. I, I slightly disagree with that because I don't think she's that nice from the start. I think Lillian <laughs> is full of it. She talks about wanting this sable coat, which is a bit of a no-no nowadays. Well, yeah. She talks about how she loves being famous. She goes, Dasha. Yeah. I love being famous. I know, it's not the most... Which I really liked. Well, Go on, is. girl, enjoy being famous. But it's not the most flattering portrayal, no. is it? So, no. so again, I... I, I it, but you, I don't hear Lillian, and Lillian Hellman, the real-life person, as far as I can tell from what I've Googled, never had a problem with any of that. Well, the film did very well. Yeah. <laughs> as well. But yeah, but and, hang and on a minute. No, no, no. She's, it's a film about her own life. 
right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she does some, you know, maybe heroic things or not, but she also comes out as vacuous and self-obsessed and not a, not a patch on Julia. I think there's a reason why Vanessa Redgrave won the Oscar. She's very, very good because she's not on screen. Mm, she's yeah. probably on screen for, I don't know, a third of the film. It's weird because the whole point is it's Lillian f- I, trying I to find where Julia I don't is. Yeah, but it's a supporting actress role, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. But what I'm saying is, every time she's on screen, I 100% believe in Julia. Um, yeah. Um, what do you think about the relationship between Julia and Lillian? How it's portrayed in the film? Their friendship. Yeah. Well, obviously, I talked about the lesbian narrative earlier but to be honest that's more uh, mm. at the start of the movie than towards the end yeah i actually feel like <laughs> they're not really friends well let me ask you this did, yeah did you feel as though that was a one-sided relationship well, no i don't actually i think you're trying to lead me down the garden path of this isn't <laughs> this isn't real so therefore it hasn't come across well, very well. well no i don't think that i actually think neither of them actually care that much for one another's well-being. And I think that's a a play on the aristocracy or the rich. I think they both know they're going to be okay. What I do think is that Lillian is envious of Julia's uh, having a cause in life. And she also cares about her because they spent so much time when they were younger together. So the friendship is something that happened when... They were young and then they went off their separate ways. And I think that Lillian, the character, is constantly trying to get back to some kind of sense of kinship. I should also mention at this point that I've just finished the BBC adaptation of The Pursuit of Love, the Nancy Mitford novel. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of parallels here, which you you haven't watched it, so I I won't talk too much. And um, I don't know how many listeners will have watched it because it's only just come out, but they may have read the book. And I found a very similar narrative. Now, The Pursuit of Love, also set in a similar time period, slightly earlier, closer to World War One, but still deals with rich, aristocratic, crazy people and the things they do. And it has a central friendship between two cousins who I think are far too close for comfort. I think it's queer baiting, but that's a different subject. Um, and again... I'm not even sure all the way through. I've watched three hours of this adaptation that they even like each other, but they just need each other because Mm -hmm. of family. I feel like what both The Pursuit of Love and Julia do is establish a familial sense. Whether Julia and Lillian actually are good friends or like each other, you could say that's because it wasn't well written because the source material wasn't substantial enough. But let's bring Alvin Sargent into this. He wrote the goddamn screenplay. Mm. He's allowed to play with narrative in a way that Lillian can't escape. She's saying this happened in my life, but a screenwriter can adapt something and add all sorts of exciting things Uh. to it. I put part of the blame on him. If you're interested in finding out more about Lillian Hellman's work, please listen to episode 63 of Beyond Bechdel, where we talk about her play and screenplay for the film The Children's Hour. Here's a quick snippet of that episode. It's based on a play by uh, Lillian Hellman. So a female playwright. Yeah, and she wrote this in 1934. Um, so that's a good, like, yeah, yeah, nearly 30 years before. It was that. pretty controversial at the time, yeah. as one might imagine. Mm-hmm. They're not gay. 
but they're called gay and that it damages their reputation, which to some extent it does because all yes, the kids get pulled out of the school. Yes, it does. It, it, it ultimately results in the closure of the school. But there's another layer, which is that it's bad to be gay and it would naturally lead to... Yeah, I think I think the moral messaging yeah. behind that is, is, is a little bit tricky. I, I don't... I think it's downright wrong. If I was being... If I was feeling cynical... I was feeling you haven't cynical. you haven't been feeling cynical um, before. I might construe that the in my, in my opinion that that relationship between Lillian and Julia is one way. It's not reciprocal. Yeah. At best, Julia uses Lillian for certain things. Julia, uh, Lillian, yes. Lillian has a much much more positive outlook on on Julia than the other way around. Now it is Absolutely. all told from Lillian's point of view, so you have to sort of. You have to accept that, but you mm-hmm. don't really get a sense of how Julia exactly feels about Lillian. It's all very distant. If I was feeling cynical, yeah, I might say that that might be, in a roundabout way, mm. evidence that Julia might not have really existed. Okay, counter, but but but, yeah. but, but as yeah. you say, yeah. it is a scripted story, yeah, and it is directed by somebody else. So exactly. You know, so you might blame the director for that, for not for not capturing that. You might blame the screenwriter for that, for not yeah. capturing that. Go ahead, sorry. Counter-narrative, yeah. feminist perspective, <clears throat> Beyond Bechdel podcast. Mm-hmm. This film, the screenplay was written by a man mm-hmm. and it was directed by well, a man yeah. Yeah. and it was about two female friends. Yeah. Laying all the blame at Lillian's door is not fair because I don't believe that um, it's her fault if a screenwriter and a director don't adequately show the relationship. Otherwise, you're going to start blaming every single writer of a book or person that lived their life for not being able to live their yeah. life authentically enough. Is, you lay this at the door of a screenwriter. Or, or a director, I suppose. Yeah, because yeah, they. who knows? what We haven't seen the script. But yeah. if the director is already naturally suspicious of the whole situation... <laughs> He might just do that, just to illustrate that point. That's not evidence, as it were. Well, hang on, so you're saying Fred Zinnemann was so pissed off that Lillian <laughs> Hellman was making up stuff because his parents died that to to piss her off, he didn't have a very good female friendship I on don't know. I, I, I Would you say that's a tenuous argument? Well, I, I, I mean, I think... I think For what, one thing, he's cutting off his own nose to I mean, spite I, his I think, I think what you do is you, you sort of... You, you can fish around for sort yeah. of evidence and stuff like that. But, I, I, I mean, is that real evidence? No, it's very... Hmm. It's speculative in the extreme of course uh, but I did find that relationship to be very one way um, which might be done by design but it but it's an oddity when you consider that it runs right at the core of the film um, yeah but I, I'm not I'm not gonna lay this at Lillian's door <laughs> okay. I, I'm not she had a memoir but published her pentimento published yeah. and so somebody must have thought like her publisher must have thought it was believable but yeah whether she's true whether whether Julia was a real person or not I don't think you can blame Lillian Hellman like have you heard about James Frey and the book A Million Little Pieces no, it's a drug story I think it's now it's probably like 15 years maybe more old and James Frey the writer became very very successful and had a very famous interview with Oprah um, about this book and about his own individual drug experiences and then a couple of years later after he'd made a lot of money it came out that a lot of what he had written had been fabricated this is like vanilla rice saying that he was from the ghetto and all that (laughs) 
he wasn't at all. Well, he 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 can probably still say Ice Ice Baby because his name was Vanilla Ice. To, but, he, but he fabricated a backstory about himself. That Do wasn't you mean true. stop, fabricate, and listen? Yeah, yeah, that's my joke. Fabricate. Okay. <laughs> Great joke. I am too smart for you on this <laughs> podcast. Um. So he is. So James Frey had a lot of bad publicity, but he'd already sold millions by this point of his book and he also had the ability to have like a comeback narrative so let's move now back to Lillian and Mary so when Mary defames and slanders should I say because I think it's slander no slanders in writing defame is in person one of the two I should know better um yeah sorry libel in writing slander in uh person when you say it so slander when Mary says this on the show in order to establish defamation you've got to show that Lillian's reputation has been defamed or or made worse in the eyes of the average right-thinking individual Mm -hmm. so if if a famous playwright and author is interviewed on a famous tv show Mm -hmm. And calls you an out and out liar. <laughs> it doesn't get more defamatory than that. Well, it, it does, but do we think? Sorry, yeah, I agree. But um, if you heard that on TV, if you heard someone slagging off another person, if you, if Tom Cruise went on TV and said Bradley Cooper, what a shit actor. Yeah. Would Bradley Cooper's <laughs> Would Bradley Cooper sue Tom? Cruise, would no. you believe it? Because um, because couldn't you? Uh, well, actually, his actually. To be fair, that's not really the same thing, is it? No, because but this I is about think, her making up things well, that also, she said are true. Well, no, but I think a comparative example Thank would you. be yes. Um, is if Betty Davis was interviewed about about something or other, and in the middle of the interview, went off on one about how crap Joan Crawford was, and the reason which why probably I, happened, yeah. Well, and the reason why I say <laughs> this is because. It's the lifelong rivalry as well. You just can't get over it. Um, Lillian Hellman's reaction to that is always going to be quite harsh because it's Mary McCarthy. Yeah, not... I, I think it's because it's Mary McCarthy yeah. more than anything. But then again, I go back to this rivalry is so frustrating for me because there were two women both doing really well, being successful, being well regarded in in fiction and fact, and to be. Involved in a spat of this nature, where it is really difficult to determine who's right and who's wrong, well, does it not like lower both of their reputations? I don't, I don't. Do you do, do do they open themselves up to oh here's two women having a cat fight? Uh, I look, I or maybe I, that's me being sexist. I, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I, I I I just think that they slightly had money to burn and therefore threw it at each other via via lawyers, as it were. See, I don't but I don't believe that. No, I believe that Mary McCarthy was was just personally offended. Yeah, I, I don't And maybe professionally jealous. Well, I, I don't of, doubt that she of was. Lillian Hellman doing so well. Well, I, or or maybe she was I getting, doubt either of them had so much or, money. Or she was pissed off that Lillian Hellman had lied in Mary McCarthy. It's quite it's quite funny, isn't it? Because her being called Mary McCarthy, I think of McCarthy, and I also think of Mary Whitehouse. So I've got this idea of this person. There's probably nothing like her, but just her being this like (laughs) puritanical. Mm. It's really weird because I feel this urge to defend Lillian Hellman when, in fact, it is it is bad to insert yourself into history when you didn't 
really do this. But to her dying day, she said it happened. Well, it's not... I'm, I'm, if anything, I give her credit for committing to I mean, it's, to it's, it's sort of... Well, never know. It, it's, a couple of, it's only a couple of notches down from someone like Oscar Schindler coming out afterwards and saying, yeah, none of that happened. Yeah, I made that up. Just a story, just a story. Well, no, or someone um, else accusing him. You know, that, it, it, yeah. it, it's, it's the subject matter that's a problem. And I think... Uh, no, no, I think it's the fact that it became an Oscar-winning film. Well, that, that's another factor. What happens if it hadn't have done that well? I, I, I do think that yeah. you, one, one does wonder why did it only start to come out or start to exactly. come after... the film was made. And I think, it, I think yeah. it was not a sufficiently sort of at the front forthright story to have gotten that much attention or scrutiny mm. in book form. But once you expand it out into a two-hour film with Jane Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave and so on and so forth, that does really well and wins Oscars, then all of a sudden it does, that scrutiny does apply. Um, well, all right then. So back to Fred Zinnemann then. Given how close he was to the actual subject material, is he not partly responsible? He made the film. If he wasn't comfortable with it, should he not have changed this? Making like Lillian the character be a bit vacuous di- di- didn't really detract that much from. We like an anti. Well, she's not even an anti hero. Sure. She's just a posh rich. I'm not person. sure how far into the film he had gotten, but when he started to reach his um, conclusions, actually, I don't know whether he was towards the end or it was in post, or, or whether he was filming it midway. I have no idea to tell you the truth. Um, I, my suspicion is somewhere in the middle of filming because I think you can see some of the way he shoots shoots um, the well, scenes that are particularly complementary to her. Yeah, but I still think I'd, I think you're just like that's that's a narrative you're happy with because you can't possibly know. Well, you can't. We have no, to read the no, script. No, you can't. You can't know. Well, you, you don't know the shooting order as well, yeah. so it's just there's no way. Because then if he... See, see, for me, personally, you're outraged that Lillian did this. I'm outraged that Fred Zinnemann thought she was lying and then didn't change the plot. To what well, extent? To, to what extent is he responsible for this? Um, Are we laying the blame as usual at the woman involved in these proceedings, and not know. the men who are making I don't know, this movie? I, I don't think Fred Zinnemann went into this thinking that it was fake. I think he got attracted to it because yeah. it was a story that sort of spoke to him in a very personal way. Do we forgive him more if he found out later? Um, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what's to forgive necessarily with him. Well, um, no, because you're just saying, because you're saying Lillian did a bad thing, and I'm saying mm, her bad thing, if it happened, was facilitated by a number of other people for personal gain. Hey, that's Hollywood. Uh, is Fred Zinnemann one of them? If he doesn't know. No, um, you were saying you thought he knew halfway through. Well, I, I think he began to suspect. Now, I, I don't know the timescales of it, so it's, it's hard to really really know exactly. All right, let me ask you then a hypothetical question. Yeah. If he strongly suspects okay. midway through <laughs> filming... But what does he do at that point? Well, exactly. Does he just pull out? Does he so, say, I'm not, not for me anymore? So, what well, you're he saying, do? he goes, let's make her a little bit bitchier. Well, that'll make me feel better. No, I am saying, I am saying that's a possibility, but I don't, you, you can't know mm. it really. It's, 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 a, it's a speculation. This is best. what I'm saying. I'm saying often when we have something that goes wrong or that um, is unfair or it is, you know, morally we're not comfortable with, we have to look at the fact that it's not always one person's fault. Harvey Weinstein, I'm sure there are a number of people at studios and producers yeah, who um, facilitated 
his perversions because he was making these wonderful movies and Miramax was no such doubt. a success. I have no doubt that's true, yeah. Yeah, and I think here we have a lot of people acting, in my opinion, very Hollywood and nothing that can be properly substantiated and yet the blame seems to be laid at the one successful woman who perhaps started this all. I am not saying Lillian Hellman is blameless. I'm saying you cannot lay all of the blame and whether there's even blame to be said. How, like, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've read the scripts or read around the subject mm-hmm. when I've watched a biopic and been enraged by how I believed that the thing I was watching, like an idiot I am, w- really happened. I'll, I'll tell you something else as well. This is, this is, I, I, I've mentioned this to you off mic many times. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast, but it's a real pet peeve of mine. This is a fiction film, so this doesn't even make any sense, right? But <laughs> my biggest pet peeve with Slumdog Millionaire right. is that... All of Dev Patel's character's life matches chronologically with the questions he's asked. What a load of bollocks. How is it the thing that he can answer question $100 um, happened when he was a child uh, and then the thing when he does $100,000 or $250,000 happens to be older? I'm like, they should have me- mixed around the question. Everyone knows how Who Wants to Be a Millionaire works. They could have worked it out. So that's not even... See, I'm angry at that. That's fiction, pure fiction, although I believe it was based on a book, a fiction book. Um, Another one, Life of Pi. Life of Pi at the end, I'm like, oh, there wasn't really a a tiger. It was a metaphor or an allegory. Well, I don't think... When I read that book, I chucked it across. That and Atonement, just spoilers here for books. Books where they change things at the end and everything I'd led to believe is not true. It breaks my heart. So anyway, yes, if biopics are all doing, is Lillian Hellman any worse? You're saying because of the nature of it being... No, I'm not saying... Is it so bad to put on screen, I'm helping Jewish people against the Nazis? Why is she doing it? Is she doing it for... uh, She could... She didn't get a Nobel Peace Prize. Hang on, hang on. You're you're telling a story here. Yes. Telling a story. That let's assume that it is factual. Let's assume and it's well, Muriel Gardner's. Why story. not just do that? Why not just when you're writing, when you're penning it? Why not just pen it as Muriel Gardner or, or ask yes. her? Inserting yourself yeah. is is a pretty low thing to do because you're tr- you're claiming credits for other people at that point. Okay, what well, damage? And, and, and not just any old credits. You're yeah. basically saying you helped Jewish people in Europe when somebody else did that. And I think that that's really low. Okay, can you prove that they both didn't do it? Look, I, I think I don't think she did it. I'm just look, saying. I'm I, playing devil's advocate. Look, the, all the, way the, the, the reason why <laughs> this court case lasted four years and blah blah, yeah. blah is because it was very difficult to prove one way or the other. It, the, the, there was there was only ever just yeah. strong suspicions. That was all really right. all, all you can. All right, let me ask it. you another question. Yeah. What happens if the if Mary McCarthy had never said those things on that TV show and Lillian well, Hammond had knows? never launched that action? Well, who knows? What what do? do if no one had ever found this out, mm. if Muriel Gardner hadn't complained, yeah, well, Muriel Gardner was was effectively she was yeah, uncovered she was, during the investigation. No, and she was coerced into saying um, that it was her life. Um, I think she was a bit like, uh, excuse me, Zinnerman, what? Why didn't you adapt my memoir? Well, yeah, I think yeah. you're fine, unless she wrote that afterwards. Um, I, don't, I don't know the time. So, I mean, who, who knows if it hadn't been such a <laughs> big, you know massive court case or whatever then then maybe nothing ever would have come of it then again if, if Julie had never been made in the f- into a film in the first place it, all it that is stay in the book probably would have never yes. become an issue in the first place exactly it, it, I mean I, I think it just spirals really the whole thing my dear colleagues 
I thank you very, very much for this tribute to my work. I think that Jane Fonda and I have done the best work of our lives. And I think this was in part due to our director, Fred Zinnemann. And I also think it's in part because we believed and we believe in what we were expressing. Two out of millions who gave their lives and were prepared to sacrifice everything in the fight against fascist and racist Nazi Germany. Is this an early iteration of gonzo journalism? Gonzo journalism. Fear and loathing. Wasn't he famous for being the story? Uh, I think that's what gonzo journalism means. I can't say I know exactly. To quote... My favourite source, Wikipedia. <laughs> Gonzo journalism is a style of journalism that is written without claims of objectivity, often including the reporter as part of the story using a first-person narrative. The word Gonzo is believed to have been first used in 1970 to describe an article about the Kentucky Derby by Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> so I think he's... It, it, yeah, I, I, I don't really understand the gonzo bit. Is it gonzo from the Muppets? I, I don't, I don't know. know. Someone out there will be listening to this going, oh, you know nothing about this. But, okay, so that was 1970. Is Lillian Hellman thinking, I'm getting in on this? The difference is, is that Hundress Thompson becomes the story, and I don't think you ever doubt the veracity of what he's um, saying. Look, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is you're claiming credit for a very heroic event that some that in that somebody else did, and you're doing so to make yourself look better, and that's the only reason. You're not doing it for any higher good. But you don't know that for certain. No, no, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> of course, of course, you, one, one has to one has to assume yeah. that one side of the story is Although true. Although the odds are not looking um, good. Um, I, I want to read out to you what what she said. There's a there's a quote. Who? Lillian Hellman, Lillian Hellman. about. The truth in her story. Yeah. <clears throat> this is what she said. This is not a work of fiction and certain laws have to be followed for that reason. So already she's establishing this is true. Your major <laughs> difficulty to me is, this is to the producer, she wrote this to the producer. Your major difficulty to me is the treatment of Lillian as the leading character. The reason is simple. No matter what she does in this story, and I do not deny the danger I was in when I took the money into Germany, my role was passive. Right. And nobody and nothing can change that unless you write a fictional and different story. Isn't it necessary to know that I am a Jew? That, of course, is what mainly made the danger. I, this sounds like her backtracking already. Mm. She was saying, well, we haven't read Pentimento. No, and I feel like I should because I feel like, again, we are blaming Lillian Hellman. And actually, it's probably the screenwriter and the filmmaker who jazz this up as people do well, in so many well films. maybe but a lot of the but she but even after the film is made she she does not deny it she basically she doesn't come out and say no it was well nothing. isn't that what she's doing i think mm. she that sounds she, to me she, like she she's not, saying at the heart of it she yeah. is still saying there but was went, there was a train in journey into yeah. germany or something yes. of that nature yeah. she may be Disputing the, the how dramatic it yeah. was, yes. which, which is a shame because that's the most um, exciting bit of the film. But there yeah. are an awful lot of bits and pieces all over the place yeah. that, that that 
Are theoretical evidence that, that she can't... Like, there, there's a point, for example, where she does go to England, I believe, goes to London, I believe. Yeah. Well, if I said to you that British immigration have no record of her arriving yeah. or leaving, so it, already it's suspect. But is that in Pentimento or is that in Julia the film? But she didn't deny it. Well, what, what, she, she's not... You're she's telling not... me that Muhammad Ali came out every time something was said about some great thing that he said and he came out and said, I didn't actually say it. But it would have been that. easier for no her... No one ever does that. But that, this was raised and it would have been very easy for her to say, yeah, well, that's that's made up. Well, I, I don't know. We're only getting... Um, we're only really using... I mean, I, I, I think, look, on, yeah. on the, look, the truth, as we said, as we've said, we don't know definitively yeah. one way or the other, yeah. but the weight of evidence, in my view, seriously yeah. points to the okay. fact she made it up. Well, well, not made it up. Fair enough. I know your point of view. Yeah. I'm going to give you what I think happened, and then we are going to leave it up to the listeners okay. to decide. Okay. I believe that plenty of her short uh, autobiographical story that she wrote happened. I believe that she did have various friends, they may have not been called Julia, who she was close to, who became engaged in work in Europe. I believe she heard from Wolf the story of Muriel Gardner and took some of that into this to make the person seem like a real person, when in fact it was lots of different events that she may have known people in passing who were involved in. I believe, I truly believe this, and maybe I'm I'm naive, I truly believe that she went and she passed some money to somebody in Germany. I don't believe anything like what happened in the film happened. Because, and I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if I'm right or I'm wrong, because either way I win. Either she actually did it and I'm defending a person who had to defend a reputation who can no longer do it, or she blatantly held on to a huge lie until the day she died (laughs) in order to insert herself into a story. And although on a moral basis I can't condone it, as a woman in Hollywood, I think it's an absolutely brilliant story and got her to be the inspiration behind an Oscar-winning Movie. So you're going, you're you're sort of siding with Lillian Hellman to a certain extent. I am acting as defender of okay. her reputation. So I'm uh, I'm Muriel Gardner. Yeah. You're you're saying screw you to me. No, Muriel Gardner was like, I've wrote, written my memoirs. I'm doing quite fine here. I'm not going to cause a big furore. It's only because Mary McCarthy dragged me into a trial that I have to say, yes, I did these things. Probably Muriel Gardner is an absolute hero. Let's, the, the, real, the real hero of this story is her mm-hmm. because I'm sure she absolutely did all of those things and she didn't want to claim any credit for it. But maybe now we know about Muriel Gardner because of Julia the movie. Uh, yeah, maybe. Why not just call the movie <laughs> Muriel. Muriel, or call, call it Julia if you want? But uh, because I think Julia is a fictitious person made well, of a conglomerate of lots of different do, things. Do you, know, do you know what it is overall? It's to do with. It's not to do with the fact that she took. I think she took somebody else's story. It's not any of that. Yeah, I think that's perfectly reasonable to do that. It's that she. It's this odd, slightly. Uh, arrogant way that she inserted herself into it is that that's that the bit that I find a bit sort of difficult to swallow. Um, if she'd just done a slightly fictitious film and you know the the, the protagonist had been whoever mm-hmm. and people might draw a conclusion, well maybe she based it on this person, but I don't think we don't we don't we think well that's bad, right? We'd all say that's fine. Mm. She just took some she just took some uh, uh, did good did good research basically. Mm. It's the fact that you put yourself into it that really bugs me. Well, let me ask you a question. 
Do you think she's the only author or screenwriter who's ever done this? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, probably not. Um, I think... I can't think of any other examples, but I'm sure it does happen. But I, I don't think... I've ever, it's, it's, it, I don't know a story like this. It, it's so... Yeah. The thing about it is it's, it's quite... It's relatively easy-ish to disprove. It would have been more so nowadays. Yeah, but... yeah. Think about the, you remember the, the thing about the baby? The baby in the Alsace? <laughs> the, the didn't ba- exist. That did all kinds of research. That baby was... If, if it existed, it was they couldn't find but it. But again, we don't know if that was in Pentimento. No, well... And the, uh, in fact, I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say there's some bollocks that Alvin Sargent well, I, I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> just for the listener, if you haven't seen this movie, it is hilarious. Basically... Um, when Julia and Lillian meet to exchange the money, Julia casually me- mentions in conversation that she's had a baby and she's left it with a baker and his wife in Alsace. And then you have a whole 10 minutes of the story where, <laughs> where Lillian, Jane Fonda is just going into bakery and she Looking can't speak any French. And she goes, are you a baker? Do you know Julia? Yeah. Do you have a baby? It is utterly ridiculous. I know, I know. God. I have no idea if that's real or not um i'd like to end with um what's so fascinating about this story so we have a book we have a film that won oscars and a screenplay we have a court case and a rivalry between two playwrights we have an unsung hero who comes into the story and most of these people are women so to have all of this is amazing Mm. for me and then lastly as a nice little coda we have Nora Ephron famous uh, writer and director who wrote a play about the feud between Mary McCarthy and Lillian Hellman called Imaginary Friends (laughs) so there's something like that I find so perfect in the fact that more material came out of this. And Nora Ephron, obviously famous for writing um, and directing a number of films which talk about female friendship and, and, you know, um, push female narratives forward. I don't know anything about the play. I'd love to see it. I hope someone brings it back so I can see it. And that is a pure work of fiction, but you can't help but think Nora Ephron might have known someone who knows someone who knows what those two were well, fighting. Well, it's not, it's not unheard of for for um, for you to take the, the bare bones of history. I, I like it when people do this, by the way. Yeah. You take, you take the facts that you know, which might be a bit sort of slim on the ground, and then you just fit in a backstory around a fictitious backstory around yeah. it, and it can it can often work really well because you can really play with it. Along and then every now and then you you throw in David Peace does a lot of this, I think, a, the British author with like the Damned United and the Red Riding trilogy. Yes. He does a lot of this where he takes known historical events and then fits a whole other story around it. Yeah, it really let's have works. a quick talk about that. Let's talk about the women in those books. Wow. Mostly mothers or prostitutes, if I um, remember Well, they're set in the 1970s, aren't yeah. they? You're well, always coming into this podcast trying to put your mail, <laughs> push your mail stories. We've got another list. But yes, no, I completely agree with you, joking aside. I, I think that, um, yeah, putting a fictionalised story around facts when mm. we don't really have the historical context and we'll never know it is basically the, the 
the beauty of storytelling. Um, it's something like Game of Thrones. Well, Game gives, of Thrones it, is a fictionalised world. It gives you a, and I think it gives you a start because you've got you, you've got an A to B to C, and all you or, or you, you've got like an A and a, a Z, as yes. it were, and you're filling in the B to Y yourself. And, and I think it's yeah. a, it's a it's a it's a good muse to start your story with, mm. definitely. And I quite like when people do that. But I think that going back to what I said at the beginning of this to maybe end this episode how much do we think writers owe audiences the truth or should we just all assume that everything that we see on screen even if it is a biopic or based on historical events is fictionalized it it it's why we have those notices at the front, don't we? About and it, it, well, some things say this is. There's all sorts of funny ones now. Like this is based on a real story. Well, this is a reimagining. I, th- of a I think real if you're story. if you're talking about the, a real uh, the, the dramatic telling of a of a historical event, either you know in a book or a film, mm. uh, you you always take it with a bit of a grain of salt. You're not reading a history book here. You know the the, the exact facts of what happened aren't aren't fully known. What you But what I'm saying is, when you watch something, Mm. do you take it with a a pinch of salt? No, not, not, yeah. Sorry, yes, I do. Yes. Which is, which is... You see, I believe everything. (laughs) I think, I think sometimes things can be very true, and sometimes they're not. And I I think where lines get crossed is when, is when they start really reinterpreting history to the disadvantage of people who were really there and yeah. the advantage of something else entirely and I've seen that a number of times and I hate it, it, it it's just it, it, that's just reworking history yes but I think people are going to keep doing that and I Pearl think Harbor. so yeah yeah well I don't know I don't know any of that shit really happened I mean we know Pearl Harbor was bombed but what about the rest of it but then you have something like Portrait of a Lady on Fire I'd love the idea that that actually happened mm. yeah there, there were some certain stories yeah. that you, you wish yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Pearl Harbor, not so much. Well, shit. <laughs> uh, but Julia was a uh, okay film. Well, what imagine we if you didn't know any of this narrative. What would you rate it out of five? Out of five. Or ten. Uh, or I'll give, I'll give it. I'd give 100. it. Three and a half stars out of five. Yeah. I would say say three because of all those baby shenanigans. Um, uh, And I wish Lillian Hellman had written the screenplay. And I wish (laughs) wish she'd inserted herself more. I wish she'd killed Hitler. That's what I want from this. Yeah, you ever see that that scene in The Simpsons where they find that the the unwritten, the the unreleased ending of Casablanca? Oh, no. And like, I don't know, (laughs) at the end when they're flying off on the plane. Hitler jumps out of a piano which Sam's playing and it's just like it's just like wow I never knew this happened in the film <laughs> you see that is that's the history I need to know about um, uh, it, it, well, even though we have our different opinions on this I'm really glad we got to speak about this because I think this is a fascinating story from history do you mm, agree? I think it's I, 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 my, my sort of final word on this would be mm. Um, the film itself is not that that great. We've established that. It's worth reading all the backstory before yeah. you watch it because you will find it more interesting. I think the backstory is actually more interesting than the film, yeah. but there you are. Truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Louis, I think this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Look out, Rick. He's packing heat. 
Good work, Sam. Come on, I'll buy you a falafel. Not so fast, Schmattenheimer. Hope you don't mind my dropping in. You know what to do, Sam. Thanks for getting to the end of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, it was quite funny that even including that Simpsons episode, I had to delete something because there's a part where um, Ilsa parachutes in to kill Hitler, as you do, and then <laughs> Rick calls her sweet cheeks. And I'm like, oh, that gave me some um, Mel Gibson hives. So uh, we won't get into the problematic history of The Simpsons. This is not enough time. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Playing us out is the theme to Julia. As always, goodbye until next time.